Uninvisible is a support podcast that deals squarely with medical issues that present unique advocacy issues for individuals. We do not provide medical advice. Please consult with your physician for any medical issue that you are facing. Information and comments that you send to us are governed by our terms of service and privacy policy which are available on our website located at uninvisiblepod.com. The opinions expressed by guests are their own and are not necessarily the opinion of Uninvisible or the show sponsors. Any advertising that you may hear is accepted without regard to our editorial content. Welcome to Uninvisible. I'm your host, Lauren Friedman. And I'm here with my guests to bring you info, insights, and inspiration for coping with, diagnosing, and treating invisible illness. We're here oversharing, so you don't have to struggle with invisibility anymore. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining us. I am here today with the lovely Lorna Alexis, founder of System of Curves. That's spelled C-Y-S-T, like cyst. And you'll see why. She is a plus-size model, and she also lives with PCOS and is an advocate for the condition, and she's going to talk to us all about it. So, Lorna, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I really get excited to talk about PCOS. I just think it's such a... um, underrated illness that um, a lot of people don't put a lot of highlight on um, when it comes to women. Um, So, you know, we talk about a lot of conditions, but I think PCOS is so underrated because people don't know how to really classify it, Mm. whether it's more so a disorder or if it's an illness. And I like to consider it an illness because you can't yeah. Yeah. Well, why don't, why don't you tell us what PCOS is to start? Can you give our audience a little bit of a rundown of how it manifests and what it's like? So PCOS stands for polycystic ovarian syndrome. Um, and really it is an endocrine disorder that starts at puberty. Mm-hmm. And what ends up happening when you're a woman that hits puberty or adolescent is that it it just really wreaks havoc on your entire hormonal system and the way that you develop as a woman. Typically you have an overproduction of male hormones or androgens, or you are like me, insulin resistant, which ends up messing up your hormonal balance and mimics someone who does have excessive male hormone production. Um, It's coupled with male pattern hair loss and inability almost to lose weight sometimes to gain weight because the phenomenon is that there are extremely slim people who have PCOS and those are the women who struggle most with the infertility issues, but it is the number one condition that causes um, miscarriages Um, and impacts just everything from your heart to your liver function to your mood. It's been linked to anxiety and depression. So it's really a debilitating disorder that is now becoming more popular because they're starting to see that it's linked to so many other illnesses and conditions. And, you know, for me, for example, not only do I have PCOS, but it manifested into diabetes because I did not understand fully what my insulin resistance meant. Mm -hmm. So once I realized that I knew I had to go so much harder for PCOS, because if it's not tackled the right way, it manifests into other conditions along with having the PCOS at the baseline. So 
that's that's the quick rundown of what it is. Yeah, that's, I mean, truly the quick rundown. I mean, it sounds like also um, just from the definition of something like polycystic ovarian syndrome is that we're looking also at the growth of cysts. Is that right? Yes. And that's the thing. So some people have cysts, some do not. I had cysts. That was one of the indicators along with my blood work. So I had seven cysts inside of one ovary and then I eight inside of the other. Wow. And it's painful too. A lot of Mm -hmm. people don't realize how much pain you're in because if you think of fibroids, that's literally like a growth on the outside. Mm -hmm. So imagine having small like sacs on the inside during, you know, when you're ovulating or actually a lot of women with PCOS have um, infrequent ovulation and just other uh, conditions that- Yeah, I mean, yeah. that makes sense because if your ovaries are sort of blocked up, essentially, right? Yeah, and the hormonal imbalance, it's almost like your body is out of sync. Right. And it doesn't know, you know, the normalcy, like, okay, you're supposed to have a period every month. Right. When you have PCOS, some have one a year, twice a year, or some women don't experience having a menses for several years. Wow. So it's kind of, yeah. It throws you out of whack, that's for sure. So how did you first find out that you had this diagnosis and and what steps have you taken to regain control of your health since? So funny enough, I was in college and um, I was having my period and it was a period that never stopped. (laughs) Mm. So you go in, I'm like, okay, okay, seven days pass, I'm still bleeding. 14 days pass, I'm still bleeding. Okay, 21 days pass, I'm still bleeding. So that point, I go to the doctor. They're just like, oh, um, we just think that something's going on. Mind you, the disparities in healthcare, that's a whole other conversation. But Oh, we're going to get into it. That's part of this interview. <laughs> so I go to the doctor and they literally tell me, oh, it may be that you're having a chemical malfunction in your brain with your, you know, your brain's not communicating. Yeah. Literally a doctor tells me this and he's like, so essentially it's all in your head is what he's telling. It's all in my head and that it's not shutting off my menses. So we're going to give you the steroid and make you chew a pack of birth control, like the chewable birth control. You're going to take the whole pack in two weeks. So here I am chewing this birth control, taking this steroid. So I'm gaining weight, but the bleeding never stops. Mm. go back to the doctor they're just like well we don't know what's going on they thought I had cancer they thought I had some rare blood disorder so imagine telling your mom that she's freaking Mm. out crying trying to figure out what's going on my blood count got so low they thought they were going to need to give me a blood transfusion when I was in the hospital but fortunately the next week I stopped bleeding, but this was over a course of about 120 days of just bleeding every day So I graduated, I moved home, and I just never felt settled with that. I said, something's wrong, and I'm not really sure what it is, but I need to go get my annual. Mm. So that's when I found my primary care physician's wife, and I went to Dr. Desai, and she looked at me because I, of course, I, um, not only was I plus size, but I was growing facial hair around Mm. this, around my chin area and around you know my mustache area and then I had some hair speckles on my chest and she said I want to test you for polycystic ovarian syndrome Mm. I hadn't even gone into the story about you know having that you know bleeding for that long 
So she goes, she does the ultrasound. She said, yep, you have cysts in both of your ovaries. Let me do some blood work. And then when the blood work came back, she said, you have PCOS. Mm. And then I told her about the bleeding and she said what probably happened, which is classic, is that you have cysts to rupture. So even though you thought you were having a period, you were actually going through the rupturing of cysts, which does cause extensive bleeding. And I sat back and I'm just like, wow. And it all hit me because honestly, I started getting PCOS symptoms when I was 12. But when I was 12, no one knew about PCOS. So I remember my mom, I, I, she would clock my period because, you know, I started getting my period around 11. So she's clocking, clocking, making sure that, you know, I'm not pregnant. I missed my first <laughs> <Good> period. <mom>. <laughs> and she's like, you're having sex. I'm like, I'm not. (laughs) She's making me take a pregnancy test and, you know, it's not me being pregnant. And she swore up and down that I I had to be having sex because you're trained to think, you know, back then that the only way your daughter would miss her bib is if she's sexually active. But that was the first indicator. And it's one of the very first indicators that there's something hormonally wrong with PCOS because it starts as soon as you hit puberty, you start getting those infrequent periods or you'll skip a period. And it's that. When I think about, it was so hard for me to lose weight at 12, like I was gaining rapid amount of weight. And I'm looking at my brother Slim, we're eating the same stuff in the house. Now don't get me wrong, I love food. So it wasn't like I wasn't wanting a little extra helping <laughs> here and there, but for mm. the amount of weight I was gaining, it wasn't normal. Yeah. And my mom didn't know how to counteract that, but that's because literally when I, it started then, it's just that I happened to find out around 23 years old that it was PCOS and not yeah. something else. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting too, because you mentioned to me before we started the interview itself, that the person, this doctor who actually discovered that you had it and tested you for it for the first time was also not an American doctor, right? So it took someone from another culture in which PCOS is prevalent to actually, because she was an Indian doctor, right? To actually think to test you for this. Now, these days it's tested much more frequently. And we were talking about how the incidence of cases is rising because more people are being tested for it more commonly. Mm -hmm. But at the time when you were tested, it was so infrequently discussed that it took someone, as you say, from another culture to go, Hey, let's test you for this thing. And she was of course, right. Absolutely. And the thing was, she was even explaining to me that, you know, back in our historical times when they would talk about the bearded woman, that was probably a woman no. who had PCOS. Yes. Oh my God. Those symptoms of hirsutism, that yeah. is a PCOS sign. You're and blowing my they, mind right now. Yeah. So it's been around forever. It's just that no one knew what to call it. They didn't know mm-hmm. why certain women had these beards. And so they would make them circus acts or like a phenomenon. But she was like, those were the first women who had the hormonal abnormality of PCOS. And so in India, a lot of women had that happening. And so that's how they were in the know of it prior to American doctors, because we just kind of like, we're like, oh, well, maybe you just have some hair issues or, you know, we weren't thinking, hey, it could be something else going on. And that's exactly what it was. 
Wow. Oh, that's pretty amazing. I've never even thought about that. And my gosh, it makes so much sense. Wow. So what have you done in order to stay in control? Like, have you had to have surgeries to have cysts removed since you got diagnosed? Do you go on hormones to, to balance everything out? How does treatment look? So the funny thing about it is the cysts that develop from PCOS, you really can't do surgery on that much. They can do ovarian drilling, but like unlike fibroids, you can't pluck them off or remove them from the outside. They're inside of your ovaries. So it's not one of those things where you can really manage that. But more importantly, the cysts aren't even the issue as much as the hormone imbalance that you just have from having the disorder. So what treatment of PCOS classically look like is, okay, we're going to get you on metformin because more than likely you're insulin resistant. So your blood's not breaking down, you know, well, the sugar in your blood's not being broken down and converted to energy. And okay, well, we're going to try to balance you out and get you a regular period. So we're going to put you on birth control. So when I started, that's what they would do. But every woman doesn't have um, the issue of the hormonal imbalance, which was like me. So the birth control actually knocked me off balance even more. Oh, wow. And um, yeah, it was, it was bad. Um, mood swings, depression. I was in the hospital a few times due to pains and um, blood clot threats because another symptom of PCOS is that we clot easier. Oh. My mind didn't know that. There's just so many well, and, and for those who are listening, one of the things that can happen when you take birth control, especially oral contraceptives, is that you are more likely to clot as well. So you're talking about double the risk there. Double the risk. Yeah. Wow. So I was tested for a lot of that. And the metformin, it was so hard on the stomach. So I'm just sitting here in the beginning of my treatment, like, it's got to be a better way. What I discovered in my process of learning about PCOS, it's really about what you're placing in and the deficiencies that women with PCOS have. One of the things that we lack in are B vitamins heavily and vitamin D. And supplementing those and eating foods rich in those actually help promote ovulation and help promote regularity. So it's one of those things that you really have to take a holistic approach to in terms of what you're putting in you know, limiting how you get your protein. Like I've had to switch into making sure most of my meat is organic, limiting processed foods and not eliminating sugar, but most women with PCOS were insulin resistant. We have to be on something like a South Beach diet or a very high protein, low carbohydrate lifestyle. It's not even one of those things where it's a fad. It's just our bodies don't break down the sugar and sugar when it's high in anyone causes other imbalances with your organs and just how, you know, your body, you know, functions. So that has been the major change that I've had to have. Mm. And then the other thing I realized is when you're insulin resistant, like I was, you have to be tackling it like you're immediately pre-diabetic because 90% of the time you are. So I've found an endocrinologist who's also Indian. <laughs> who, wow specializes in PCOS. And she told me, she was like, you know, you should have been on pre-diabetic, on diabetes medication when you were diagnosed because you were insulin mm. resistant. Your insulin basically just doesn't work. She was like, yours yeah. just really doesn't work. 
So you needed assistance the whole time. And that probably would have prevented you from becoming diabetic. And this is type two diabetes, right? Type two. Yeah. Mm. She was like, because that's what makes it hard for women with PCOS typically to lose weight is their insulin resistant and, Mm. you know, sugar that doesn't convert over to energy becomes fat. Mm. So you're sitting here eating a muffin thinking you're okay. That muffin for you does something different to your body than the normal, you know, woman walking around who can eat muffins because it provides the energy to go to the gym. Mm. Doesn't do the same for me. A muffin will put me to sleep. (laughs) I've seen it happen. Like other people be up and running. I can eat like a bowl of any bowl of cereal and go to sleep. And when I was younger, I didn't realize it had anything to do with my insulin resistance. Mm, of course because you didn't know exactly so treatment wise that's been the major thing and exercise and just it's almost like a condition where a healthy lifestyle isn't an option like you know it's not really an option for anyone but it's definitely not an option for you if you want to maintain some sanity with PCOS so for me even though despite all the efforts to lose weight I've had to really just change how I viewed food. My relationship with food had to change mm. in order for me to be in control of some of the condition because a lot of it you don't have control over because it's an imbalance and you just don't know when your body's going to be like, oh, we're going to be out of balance today. But you do have control over what you put on your plate, how you take care of yourself, and the things that are going to internally turn as triggers because. Yeah. One thing they'll say with PCOS, and not to be overly long-winded, is that no. you can't, you can't, um, you have to tackle it as a whole. You can't just treat the symptoms. And what the birth control would do is just mask it. Mm. You're not treating what's causing the imbalance. You're not teaching women, you have to do this in order to maintain this. You're just, well, if we give you birth control and hope that you have a regular period, you should be okay. But then when you want to go have kids, then you come off the pill and you're wondering, well, why can't I get pregnant? What's going on? Mm-hmm. Why am I not, you know, feeling in control? Because you're not in control anymore. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it really is quite a complex condition and it sounds like you have to treat it on a case by case basis. But what's happened to you is that you've ended up with a second chronic condition Yes. Because of the first one. So that's, that's a lot. And, you know, even discussing your relationship to food, it sounds like there's had to be a lot, especially as a woman. I mean, we're women in the world, you know, when you're told that you have to basically spend the rest of your life on a South beach diet, that's gotta be a lot to get your head around emotionally too. It is because, you know, it's, it's a hard condition to explain socially to your friends. You know, when you're out drinking and you're out wanting to do brunch and you're out wanting to just enjoy life, which I still do, but I've had to literally understand that I'm not like everyone else. Like, it's not going to be the same, you know, walk in the park that my friends may experience. Like, when they're ready to have kids, it may instantaneously happen for them. For me, I'm still, you know, I don't have children just yet, but like, I have to think about, you know, is this going to be easy? I have to prepare myself emotionally for a letdown or possibly maybe not because a lot of research has helped women with PCOS become mothers and be pregnant and everything, but you still have to realize that you're different. And that's hard socially because you don't want to feel different. Nobody wants to be like, I can't have. It's different from having an allergy to something where it's just one aversion 
versus I have to literally live my life and walk it in a different direction because mm. what you do may be completely harmful to me. Yeah. Can yeah. Eat cake all the time. Well, the other thing is like, it's, it's hard to, cause like you were saying about the muffin before, right? Like you mm-hmm. eat muffin that puts you to sleep. So you don't necessarily feel pain or any kind of immediate response that you might feel if you had an allergy or something like you don't actually get sick from it, but it's not going to serve your body in the long term either. If you continue to live your life a little more freely in that way, you really do have to create more structure for yourself to maintain health. Yeah. That's really tough. And you're a model too. So I bet that's like, it's a whole other can of worms that you're dealing with. It is because when you go to like these, you know, modeling opportunities, everything they have is pasta salad or stuff that they deem are supposed to give you energy. Mm. And it's just like, that's going to do nothing for me. Mm. Like, do you have some nuts? Because I can have some nuts salad or just something more protein based. I can do that, but like everything would be pasta. Yeah. Well, that's an oversight. Like what model wants to sit and eat pasta anyway? (laughs) Yeah, that's an oversight anyway. I'm like, uh, imagine the bloating, like chicken salad. (laughs) Yeah, that's real. That's real. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it sounds like this was really uncharted territory for you when you got diagnosed and, and the journey to, you know, being diagnosed additionally with type two diabetes and everything. And I'm wondering if at any point along the way you had advocates helping you out through the journey, like was your mom working as an advocate for you? Um, Did your doctors act as advocates for you or did you really have to learn at this young age how to do that yourself? You know, I really had to learn because a lot of people were hush hush about having it. Mm. Um, Uh, as I tell women, and I still meet women today, there's a lot of shame in feeling like your femininity Mm. is taken because of the male pattern hair loss on your scalp, because of the facial hair growth, and just the inability of some women to conceive, because Mm. unfortunately, not every woman with PCOS is going to be a mother. There are some women that are completely infertile and just feeling ashamed to not be able to do the function that women are quote unquote created to be able to do Mm. kept a lot of women very, very quiet about having it. So I literally kind of had to create to me a space to make it more comfortable and speak about it more. And as I spoke about it more, then there were women who found me that were starting to do the same. And then that's kind of how System of Curves came about and how it started to grow and how I started to see that there are more women out here who are willing to advocate. And the advocacy is still growing because again, a lot of women aren't public about the struggle. Even there were celebrities, there was a few like Adrian Ballon finally came out and said that that was one of her struggles. She had PCOS. Um, and then Gabrielle Union spoke on her fertility struggles as well and spoke to the, you know, PCOS community about, you know, spoke to that and other women who have issues conceiving because she had 11 miscarriages. No one knew that, but she was oh, trying yeah. to conceive with her husband and they just had to go with the surrogate and learn to love that process because naturally she could not carry a child of her own. And there are just so many others that are finally coming forth about, you know, even Kim Kardashian, even though she didn't have 
PCOS, but she literally could only carry those two children. She said otherwise she mm. would pass away, which is why they keep having children through surrogacy. Wow. Because she up with one, and I forgot. Yeah, there was the something else. There was something else, mm. but fertility issues are very, very heart-wrenching for me. And so to have PCOS and to feel like you may be infertile, I mean, I broke down when I first got it because yeah. I was told that I probably would not be able to be a mom. And growing up being a girl from the South and originally from Georgia, all you fantasize about is the big wedding and then having mm-hmm. a bunch of babies. Yeah, that's and well, it's also the expectation that is arranged yeah. for us as women, isn't it? It is. And so to be told, and at that time I had, you know, a boyfriend that I thought I was going to marry, to be told that you might not be able to have kids and that's the whole goal of your partner, it was heart-wrenching for me. So it took me a few years before I started speaking about it because I've had it for 10. I did not start really advocating for polycystic ovarian syndrome until I turned 30, until I really felt okay with, okay, I need to talk about this because there's so many of us suffering and we don't know how to tackle this. And I'm learning and I'm growing. Now I have diabetes. And it's important that I help someone else not get to this stage because diabetes is even scarier to me. (laughs) You know, PCOS doesn't kill you, but what can manifest from not managing right can Mm -hmm. kill you. And that's the problem that that's when I really, like, I got to be more vocal because, you know, PCOS is linked to heart disease. It's linked to just high cholesterol, just other diseases if it's mismanaged because our bodies just, aren't functioning the same way as someone else who's completely healthy with no, you know, underlying illnesses. Even with the coronavirus scare right now, I'm definitely in the house Mm because my immunity is compromised. Yeah. And that's scary to think about. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's been quite a scare for the community of people living with chronic illness. We've been all a little bit like we have pre-existing conditions. So we're going to stay in the house right now. It's, it's pretty full on. I get it. Well, and you've got two pre-existing conditions now. I mean, it's, it sounds like it's been quite a journey more mentally than anything else. Like obviously there was the physical journey of managing your symptoms, but it sounds like the emotional toll that this illness has taken on you has really been the key learning experience here too. It has because, you know, another you know, indicator for PCOS is the cystic belly. And that makes you shaped a little bit different. And, you know, when you're dating and you're out here and, you know, you have people and that's why I had to really become confident within myself and who I was, you know, and people are putting these expectations of society's beauty standard on you. And you can't respond with, I'm going to join Weight Watchers. I can just drop this weight Women with PCOS, you might be lucky. You could do everything someone else does, and you might be lucky to lose 30 pounds in a year. Some maybe more, but again, it takes so much effort to get what someone else can easily attain. And I know in my love life, you know what I've had in my past guys tell me like, oh, you're perfect. I just wish you could be, you know, 40, 50 pounds smaller. (gasps) Yeah. Like that's no small thing. Like that's no small thing. And also how dare you? (laughs) (laughs) Right. And also get away from me. But (laughs) I've had that happen. And I remember going to Chronicon and a young lady there came up to me and she started crying and she was like, you're so beautiful and confident. 
I wish I could be that because I feel like PCOS ruins my love life because guys don't want to date the big girl. And she shows me a picture of her before she knew she had PCOS and where she was slimmer. She was like, I'm trying everything to lose weight. She was like, and it hurts me. She was like, so seeing someone like you inspires me that maybe I should be okay walking in my own shoes. That's and it made beautiful. me cry because yeah. I was just like, you know, you never understand who you're impacting Mm. until you hear something like that because I'm literally just doing it from the heart because I know that there's so much mismatched information Mm. and there's so many women who aren't going to doctors who care enough to really navigate this with them Mm. with PCOSAA for example I know other women who were watching me talk about PCOSAA that went on their directory to find a good endocrinologist that's how I found mine because they have a directory of doctors who specialize in endocrine disorders, specifically endometriosis and PCOS, which is highly related. Um, So, you know, when I met her at Chronicon and just listening to those stories, I was like, you know, I have to keep going because I just don't know who's watching, but who needs it. And who may be still shy to talk about their journey, but they're watching my journey and learning so that they can help themselves quietly from the privacy of their home. Because, you know, not everyone's going to want to be public about their journey or their struggle. You know, they might be insecure with their illness. I know a lot of women with chronic illnesses that are very insecure or it's a fragile area to speak on because they're always battling it. So I feel like some people are made to be the warriors, to be public, to help the ones that feel weaker, that don't want to come out with that and want to learn other ways to cope. So, you know, I I love advocacy for that. And I love being a person now that I was, I decided to speak on it. That can be a light to someone else because I'm all about helping people. That's one of the reasons why I even stepped into modeling is to give women who aren't necessarily slim framed that, Mm you can still be beautiful. You can still, you know, get up every day and feel amazing about yourself. And you don't have to fit into this shrink wrap, you know, cut it, mold it, make it perfect society standard. And that's okay. You don't need that. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's really beautifully said. And it sounds like you've been through that journey and you're willing to share what you've learned along the way. I mean, that's what it's all about, isn't it? I I wanted to ask what a typical day looks like for you too. Like, how are you balancing the demands of work and life while you're managing symptoms and also managing your business and, and, you know, still writing your blog posts and, and being able to be that light for other people? How are you making it work? I will honestly say that it is a bit of a struggle sometimes because you're wearing multiple hats. And one of the other, you know, conditions that come with PCOS is chronic fatigue. So there mm-hmm. are days where you literally do not want to get up and go to work. Yeah. Um, one of the ways that I absolutely cope is I do take personal days when I need them because there are some days where I just need to detach, unwind, and go to sleep for, you know, half the day because mm-hmm. I'm running running, running, running. And my body, unfortunately, can't run to the brink of, you know, exhaustion like someone else who can just not sleep. With women with Mm. PCOS, we all, we go through brain fog. Yeah. We go through chronic fatigue and literally any 
ounce of energy that we can get, we, we cherish. So mm-hmm. personal days is one way I'm able to manage day to day. Honestly, the other thing is I'm very, very, like I said, cognizant of what brings me up and what brings me down, which is hard when you're in the office and there's office parties and, you know, people wanting to do a lot. But I bring my I bring my food to um, work. I meal prep most of the time. And then if there is going to be a day where there's a party, I pick and choose specifically what I'm eating because I'm not productive until I'm falling asleep. And when I told you I used to fall asleep at work, like if I ate certain things, I would have to go take a nap. And my employer didn't know that. Like I would go to my car and take a nap, but it was like, I can't function. I don't understand like why I'm going through this like narcolepsy type sleep, but that's when I found out I was insulin resistant. So I'm eating a bowl of pasta. I can't keep my eyes open. My body can't do anything with, (laughs) with break, break it down or anything. So being cognizant of that has helped my day to day. And honestly, sticking to a schedule that's flexible. Now, unfortunately, me being who I am, I hate routine, but I've learned that the only way for me to be successful is to have somewhat of a routine and to start being consistent and to begin being, you know, cognizant of, okay, this needs to be done this day, that day, so that I don't overwhelm myself and go through anxiety. So planning out how I do what I do has helped because then I don't feel overwhelmed and I don't start making bad choices like being up all night. Well, I'm going to eat all the cookies because, or I'm going to go to Taco Bell because that's all that's open. Just keeping myself on a routine helps with my illness because I'm able to stay in control as opposed to being reactive because things are happening. And especially with the diabetes portion, you have to eat you have to eat by a certain, mm. you know, not by a certain time, but when that pin, that twinge comes and your blood sugar's dropping, like you need it. So having snacks in certain places have helped. Like literally you have to modify yourself surrounding your illness in order to maintain it, even with the goals that you have in place. So I have snacks in my purse. People will be like, you have, yeah. You're the best person to get lost with then. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> Always have snacks. Always have snacks. You never know when you need a protein bar or Mm -hmm. that. So that's really how I've been able to manage. But it does get tough because, you know, there's obligations and responsibilities. And sometimes you can get lost forgetting how to, you know, do your self-care routine. But you have to stick to it for, you know, your health. You just have to stick to it. This episode is sponsored by Ember Labs, creators of the Ember Wave, the intelligent bracelet that helps control how you experience temperature. I'm heat sensitive, and this device has been a lifesaver. Using patented technology, it cools or warms the temperature-sensitive skin on your wrist, creating a natural response in your body and mind that helps you thermally adjust in minutes. It was selected by Time Magazine as one of 2018's best inventions. For those of you with mounting medical costs to consider, the team at Ember offer a payment plan in partnership with a firm. And because you listen to Uninvisible Pod, they are offering you $30 off. Go to emberlabs.com, that's E-M-B-R labs.com, enter code INVISIBLE30, that's INVISIBLE30 at checkout, and experience personal thermal wellness on a whole new level with me. Is it something that you also like tell your employers about? Like, you know, hey, I need this personal day or like, hey, I, you know, can't eat that or whatever, you know, so that they understand? I I have opened up about it a lot more because I don't want people questioning, well, why is she not, you know, eating this or why does she, she want to participate and think that I'm not trying to be a part of the team? 
but it's more so my health concerns. And then ironically now in the, you know, equal opportunity employment paperwork, when they ask about disability, endocrine issues are considered a disability. That wasn't always the case. Wow. I didn't know that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Like I knew diabetes was considered, but then I started seeing thyroid and endocrine and they have endometriosis because I think now employers are starting to realize that even though it's not something that's, you know, devastating or, you know, okay, well, they don't have a physical disability because most of the time when people think of disability, they think of something that they can physically see. A wheelchair or a mobility aid. Yeah. Yeah. But now they're starting to realize that there are a lot of things that we don't see that impact a person's performance at work. And once I saw that listed, I, I class, I, I click yes, because I need the accommodation. Um, the other thing in my adult life that I started realizing is that I have to have a job that offers some remote work because if I'm not teleworking, the burnout is real. <laughs> so I need at least, you know, a day a week because then I can start my day earlier, end it earlier, rest up and have that balance. It's about really knowing what works for you. So mm. that's what, yeah, I have, yeah. I have to tell them. Absolutely. So have you ever been in a situation, I mean, obviously, aside from the early days when you were trying to get this diagnosis and didn't know what was going on for that first decade or so, right? Mm -hmm. Have you been in a situation where you've been confronted and forced to like validate or justify the fact that you had this illness to other people who couldn't see it? Not in a professional setting, Mm -hmm. but I've had to explain it to family and friends. And I've had to like, they, they would under, they would undermine it. Like, oh, you're not really feeling that way or you're making excuses until I think what really hit them hard was the diabetes diagnosis. And then me find, they finally realized me making the link and telling them like, this is why it was so important. This is why I was telling you guys, I can't do this, can't do that because now I'm here. And as much as I wanted to prevent it, you know, I'll be honest, in those earlier years, I definitely attempted, but I did not advocate for me hard enough to find the type of medical staff that understood what I was going through. I was following my the typical advice that most women with PCOS get, and it wasn't helping me. And I didn't understand why. I'm like, I'm taking the metformin. How did I still get diabetes? I've been on metformin for years. I take it. I've been taking my birth control and it didn't take, it took me going into the emergency room for me to come off the birth control and realizing that it wasn't indeed doing it due diligence. It wasn't mm. helping me at all. Well, and, and you realized then that you had to be more of an educated patient, I guess, because the doctors yeah. weren't serving you with what they knew. Yeah. And it made, it forced me to find that the advocacy areas, it forced me to step up and research even more because I just thought that for some reason, if I took this birth control and took this metformin, I was protected. And when I still developed diabetes, I was like, there's more to this that I'm not understanding. I need to do more because how did I get diabetes? Like, how did I get here? I'm 30. (laughs) Well, and, and diabetes is one that I feel like more people understand because it affects perhaps a, a larger percentage of the population, or at least it's more widely recognized and there's more research and more money behind it because it's also something that affects men as equally as it affects women. And I think that that's the key word is that it affects men Mm. and women, where PCOS only affects women. 
Yeah. And it's not like, oh, it's breast cancer because cancer, it's it's shock value. Cancer can kill you in a short time period. So it, it shocks people when they hear PCOS and they're like, oh, well, you can't die from it. It's kind of just shrugged under the rug, but it's like you mm. can die from it if you don't manage it. It's going to lead to something else that's yeah. more deadly. And I don't want anyone to be in the position of deadly diseases like diabetes. As I tell people, if you don't manage yourself, that one's very deadly because bad diabetic coma is real. I don't want to go blind. I don't want to have, you know, neurological issues or my nerves. You know, you just think about so much because like you said, it's more widely accepted and people, there's a large amount of people who suffer with diabetes. And then it was, it clicked for them like, yeah, she might be telling the truth about what she's going through. Wow. But to have to go through not being believed, I think it's so hard, especially when you're dealing with a quote unquote women's health issue, you know, because so much of medical research is biased against women and particularly women of color too. And it's, Mm -hmm. you know, when, when we know these facts and yet people are still less likely to understand when we're like, Hey, something's up, this is what's up. And people still don't get it. It's because there's not enough research. There's not enough money. There's not enough discussion. So hopefully people like you talking about it. So openly are going to change that narrative as well. That's what I'm hoping. And I'm, that's, I'm so happy to see that more doctors are asking women. They're wanting to perform the test. They're wanting to make Mm. sure because they know that this will change the course of someone's life. Like once you get diagnosed with PCOS, much like any chronic illness, it changes the course of your life. You have to really operate different. And so it's important to tackle it earlier so that you have more of an ability to normalize yourself than doing it later. Yeah. What about, I mean, we've just touched on this idea of prejudice in medical research um, and among friends and family trying to understand what's going on. Have you experienced undue prejudice or maybe privilege, maybe on either side of it in the healthcare system, particularly as it regards self-identity? So in other words, because you're a woman of color, can you see your circumstances being different if you presented otherwise? Do you think people would have taken you more seriously if you were a white woman going into the doctor's office? You know, I hate having these conversations, but yes. But it's real. It's true. That's medical bias. It's very, very biased. And I, I can say that until I got diabetes, a lot of my doctors didn't take it as serious. Even now, like I have, um, and it's going down, but I had a baker cyst behind my right leg. The first time mm-hmm. I went to the doctor, they're just like, oh, you probably just pulled a muscle. I'm like, no, I'm telling you, these are my symptoms. You just want to give me, you know, naproxen or some painkiller. Mm-hmm. But what if it were something deeper? What if it was something like a deep vein thrombosis what if it was something deeper because it's in the lower extremity of my body like I really feel like I don't know if they consider women of color to have stronger bodies or that we're making it up or oh well there's statistics and studies that show that that a lot of people presume that women of color can endure more pain and it's crazy that, is, you would think that we want to have more pain, even if, yeah, it's, even well, if it's it all BS. Yeah, it's all BS. And even if it were any inch of it true, which we know is not, who wants to be in pain? Nobody exactly. wants to be in pain. So the fact that you would shrug symptoms under the rug, like, oh, you're making it up or you can deal with it a little bit more is crazy mm. to me. And I think with the PCOS, 
absolutely. Like my OBGYN, I had to stop the going to him because our visits would be maybe 10 minutes. I'm like, I need to have a conversation with you. I need to really go into depth with you in depth with you about what I'm going through. Was that something about the healthcare system though? Do you think the, the, the visits were 10 minutes? Cause so many doctors are strapped by that. Like 10 to 15 minutes is all they get with their patients because of the health insurance system. I do. I mean, I feel like, mm. you know, greed is a huge thing. And, yeah. you know, the more you see, the more money you're making, the more claims are being filed, the more kickback you're getting, yeah. you know, even with the way they prescribe certain medications, you know, if you're getting a kickback to you to, to prescribe this one over that one, because you've negotiated this out with a farm pharmacy rep, you know, mm you're not necessarily in it for the betterment of the patient, but of the wealth factor. So I just think that the way we view health in America as a privilege instead of a necessity, like some other countries has definitely changed the level of care received by some of our, Mm. of us, especially with women, women across the board are undermined with when it comes to healthcare. And then you add on women of color and it's just like, you know, we're not taking it serious. We're just not taking it serious. And it's unfortunate because there are so many conditions and chronic illnesses that require that extra layer of care. Would you say that it's, it's a public health crisis? I would. Mm. I would. Because I would agree. We live in such a technically savvy world. There's to me no reason that women should be dying as much giving birth, especially women of color. Yep. There's no yeah. reason that, you know, there are certain issues that are still happening with medical malpractice in this technically, you know, savvy world. Even what we're dealing with now with the coronavirus, it's so sad. But some of this is like we've had our hospitals struggling for years, decades, even undersupplied. You know what I mean? Beds not being updated, ventilator orders not being fulfilled, for money being taken away. Um, to prevent the growth and expansion of these healthcare systems. And now we're forcing people to reopen labs, to build masks, and just there's not enough room at these hospitals because other, you know, money went elsewhere, you know? So even being in America, watching how the coronavirus is literally, literally you know, being a beast ravaging through, you know, states and watching sources just dry up, it's like, Yeah. It's really frightening. Yeah. It's very frightening. I mean, we know certainly ways in which the healthcare system isn't working for patients. Right. What about ways in which it's working? Have you had experiences that have made you see it in a positive way? Or do we think it's just the whole thing needs to be overhauled? Um, you know, I don't want to say overhauled, but I definitely think that revamping is an important part. You know, one of the things that, you know, even though people did not vote for Hillary, that I was very, very, very in support of, and I've always been in support. I'd like to say people did vote for Hillary, actually. I mean, we did. We if did, we, if we recall, she had the popular vote, but she please go on. Popular, I mean, she did. And honestly, yeah. technically, she's supposed to be president, but we won't get into a political Yeah, that's, that's, but, for know, <laughs> that's for another podcast. That's for another podcast, but technically, she was supposed to be president. But one of mm. the main things that I loved about her um, run is her take on healthcare and universal healthcare because the, it works. It's It's been proven to work in other spaces. And 
taking away the luxury of healthcare, just like we should take away the luxury of education. Education shouldn't be a luxury if you choose to have it. Um, we should be paying astronomical mm. prices to be educated, to then get into the workforce and make sure that our <laughs> economy can run. So yeah. you're asking us to go in debt to contribute to the economic development of the U.S. These are human rights. They're not luxuries. Right. So, you know, when you think about other countries like Germany and Canada and just other spaces in which they have not overly glorified the medical field or the education system, there's a different level of care and a different level of accessibility that people receive. And I think that we just need to revamp it all together. I mean, the fact that we even during the Obama administration were having arguments over making it a human right to have health insurance and making sure that there were limitations on the biases that health insurance companies placed on the average citizen is ridiculous to me. So you think it's okay to tell someone who has a pre-existing condition that they can't help or chronic illness that they can't help, that they're not allowed to have health insurance because it's expensive to keep them alive. That's not okay. You know, I could go on and on about that, but mm, I agree. <laughs> there's no way where I've just been like health healthcare system is an amazing space. No, there's no instance that I would ever support that. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you on that one. So we're heading into sort of the tail end of our interview and um, we'll, we'll brighten things up a little bit with a couple of top three lists that I like to wrap up with. Um, and I was wondering if you could give us your top three tips for someone who is maybe in this chronic illness space with you and I, maybe they've got something off and they're not sure, maybe they're already diagnosed. What would you recommend for people going into this space, particularly with regard to PCOS and diabetes? The number one thing that I would recommend that I think goes under minded is your mental health. Therapy is so, so, it's a necessity for chronic illness because grasping that reality that you need to change and doing it are two different things. There's a lot of anxiety and depression that goes into having chronic illness. Every day does not look picture perfect. In fact, you probably may experience more low days then high days on a regular basis and having the mental health support is needed because even if you don't have a mental health issue, having a chronic illness may help you develop one because your life changes and just simple things like with me, you know, with having diabetes, it affects even your joints. It affects how your body just operates. So certain things that I used to enjoy or the energy I used to have prior to having a diagnosis has changed. And that weighs on you internally and mentally. So that would be my number one thing is to make sure you have the mental health support. And it may not come through a friend and family. Actually, I recommend a professional. If you can get someone professionally, definitely do Mm -hmm. it because you're going to need that support to normalize yourself and to know that you're going to be, you're okay. You being different doesn't mean that you're not okay. You know, Mm, I love the that. Next, you know, the next thing that I would recommend for someone in this space is to find a support system of people who look, feel, think, and understand you because you're going to go through a lot of opposition through people who don't experience what you do. And that's not even chronic illness based. That's just in life in general. If someone can't relate, they're not going to know how to be a supportive person. A lot of times you get some people who are just 
super empathetic and they can feel everything people around them feel, but not everyone's like that. And we live in a selfish world. So it's important to find people who look, feel, and think and know what your struggle is because Mm. on those low days, they know how to speak life into you to keep you going. And it's easier to, you know, laugh about your illness with someone who gets it because it's not, you know, someone's like you're being morbid. And it's like, well, today I just want to be light about, you know, me falling asleep when I ate a slice of pizza. Like, I don't want to, I don't want you, you know. <laughs> I love that. I'm, I'm happy to have like a pizza date followed by naps anytime. <laughs> right. Anytime, right? Like, you know, and it's okay for us to have this joke, you know. And the last thing that I would literally recommend for someone in the is literally be your own advocate. Don't allow someone who doesn't know what they are talking about to police your body or police your wisdom. A lot of people try to place, oh, well, you should do this. Go eat an apple. That's not going to work today for me. You know, I know my, I know my body and I know what I need to do. You don't have the education to police it. And you have to block that because sometimes people will put all this on you and then you just start to feel more different. Well, this leads me into the next question I was going to ask you because I want to ask you your top three things that give you unbridled joy that despite lifestyle changes that you've had to put into action to stay healthy, things that you're unwilling to compromise on. So this can be guilty pleasures. It can be secret indulgences. It could be comfort activities. What are your top three? I really love ice cream. I'm just not willing to give it up. Ice cream makes my heart happy. So (laughs) there are moments where I just need it with a Girl Scout cookie and, you know, a Samoa with like vanilla ice cream has just been, Mm. it's make a little Samoa sandwich. Exactly. Like, and honestly, they probably should make baby Samoa sandwiches for people who have addictions to those types of food. Let it be said that Lorna came up with this idea. So Girl Scouts, please send the proceeds. (laughs) Exactly. Like little baby Girl Scouts sandwiches for the freezer would be beautiful. But I love it. That'd be amazing. Yeah. I love love ice cream despite the lifestyle change yeah i also love italian food now i Mm. limit that specifically but i love all things pasta and i just the moment i found out i was diabetic the way pasta hit my spirit like i literally can only sparingly eat you and i promise in another life i was an italian so i can eat pasta in all its forms with any additives as much as possible <laughs> but at least that's good because if you if you're going to indulge in pasta you're really going to get good stuff too you're not going to have like crappy microwave pasta you're going to have no, i'm going to really go. good fresh stuff yeah I, yeah i have to have the good stuff the stuff mm. that you know puts you to sleep when you're in <laughs> puts us to sleep I don't know about everyone else but... <laughs> I'm just like <laughs> good night wow, you know <laughs> despite the lifestyle change and honestly my other one I, I mean I just really like fried stuff yeah it's I'm with you hard. you're from the south so that's like it's it's, it's in you it, I mean, I just feel like me having any of these conditions goes against my entire genetic makeup and my entire <laughs> cultural upbringing. Like we are frying Twinkies in Georgia. Everything <gasps> can get 
Right. Everything can be powdered and fried, like Oof. pickles, okra, chicken. I mean, we're to know that I can't just get a fried piece of catfish regularly. It, it hurts. It does hurt spiritually. Mm. But I have limited it, but I can't get rid of it. Like, you know, you get those people who, you know, are diagnosed with their chronic illness and they are like, I will never touch such and such. I, I gave up all of this. And I'm just like, yo, I, if you expect me to never eat ice cream and I'm, I'm one of those people that it needs to be whole or don't have it at all. I'm not doing diet ice cream. I don't want the Splenda. And in fact, it's not good for you. I tell people that all the time. You think you're doing something healthy by getting the sugar free. It's not because that's chemicals. And actually I found out being diabetic and with my endocrinologist that there's trace sugar in it anyway. So not only are you taking in the chemical, you're taking in sugar anyway. So you may as well have the sugar in moderation than to stuff your face with fake sugar. Totally. So I, don't do, I don't do diet Cokes. I don't do light ice cream or any of that. I just have the whole thing because mm. I've noticed that when I have it whole, I don't crave it as much anymore mm. because I will overeat something that I think is healthy in right. that, in that category. Like in my brain is just like, well, it's a fat free cookie. So I can mm. have 10. Where yeah. if it's a whole chocolate chip cookie, I'm like, I can only have two. Yeah. Like, yeah. I know what it comes with. So that's how I get around it. But yeah, I can't give those three items up. I've tried. Mm. It just doesn't. I'm with you. I, I feel you like I shouldn't have dairy because it makes me digestively not in the best way. Yeah. But and sometimes you just need to have your full fat, full cream ice cream yeah. because you need it. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Once Is there, I know. Oh God, mac and cheese. Oh, I've had a craving for that the last few days. And I've been like, I need to go out and get some, uh, there's actually a great way to do the mac and cheese without the dairy. Really? But with butternut squash and um uh what is it the the yeast the um oh god n- nutritional yeast and and really? butternut squash it's pretty good and it's super creamy. Yeah, so, I might need to look that up because I'll send you a recipe. I was going to go out and get some butternut squash today. <laughs> like I need yeah, some of my comfort foods. I need my yeah, like exactly. my mac and cheese, yeah. Exactly. Because I'm one of the PCOS women who have, once I came off of birth control, I got my period regularly. Mm. Crazy, right? So now it's, I know when I'm about to be in that need. (laughs) It's almost mac and cheese time. (laughs) Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So I'm just like, instead of me going and finding a restaurant that's going to make it all bad. Yeah. Getting Make it yourself. Substitute is good. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Was there anything else that you'd like to share? I mean, I'd love you to tell everyone tuning in where they can find your blog and all your work. Yes. So I have my blog at systemofcurves.com, which is C-Y-S-T-U-M of curves.com. System specifically refers to the cis that women go through them. Also system of curves on Instagram. That's where you can keep up with the modeling and just other places and spaces that I travel to, to advocate and just, you know, my lifestyle stuff. Um, but those are the two spaces that you can reach me on and, you know, any questions that anyone ever has when they are following, or if they decide to follow me, 
feel free to ask. I'm pretty, I'm pretty friendly. I think I'm friendly. I think I'm you're totally friendly. friendly. Yeah. So <laughs> I say, guys, I, she's friendly. <laughs> I'm friendly. I just love to help. If there's any questions, yeah. I will always be there to answer. Um, especially when it has to do with PCOS. I absolutely adore helping women mm. with PCOS related illness and questions. And even if you have another chronic illness, there's someone in my life because now I'm in the chronic community. I call it the chronic. Community. Oh, I like it. Okay. So, <laughs> I, I have a plethora of women who are out here mm. advocating for different illnesses, mm. lupus and hypothyroidism to arthritis. Just there's so many women that that you don't even think about arthritis and degenerative, you know, situations of that nature. Yeah. Yeah. So there's so many women in my life now that I could direct people to who you would need to just feel encouraged. So Mm. definitely reach out and tell me hello and I'm going to say hi back. And I love it. There. Yeah. Well, you said hi back to me when I reached out. So goes I to show. Know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really glad that we got to chat today and we're going to be chatting more. So um, thank you so much for taking the time today. And I hope you're continuing to stay safe in the middle of this corona madness. And um I can't wait to to chat more and hopefully meet you at the next Chronicon. Yes. Thank you for having me. I've really oh. enjoyed our conversation. Me too. So, yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Thank you so much. I look forward to the future and just seeing everything grow. Same. Same for you. All right. Thanks so much, Lorna. Okay, guys, I want to talk about coaching. I recently connected with an awesome executive and life coach, and her name is Jenna Chieko. A graduate of Dr. Martha Beck's program with a background in psychology and law, she's a former tech general counsel and chief of staff who also worked for the Obama administration. Jenna inspires clients to step into their best lives by helping them access their inner strengths, clear the cobwebs holding them back, and cultivate a dream big growth mindset. She is also a life Sherpa for navigating change. You know who I know who has big dreams and is navigating massive changes now more than ever with coronavirus? We Spoonies. Jenna works virtually and she's offering 10% off to new clients who enroll and mention code INVISIBLE. Her rates are reasonable, and she's dedicated to help us rise to the top. Go to jennachieco.com, that's G-E-N-A-C-H-I-E-C-O.com, for more. That's it, folks. Thanks for listening. As always, please check us out online at uninvisiblepod.com, all over the social media world at uninvisiblepod. We love your feedback and suggestions, so please drop us a line via the website if you have questions, ideas for topics to cover in future episodes, or just want to say hello. We're all about relationships and collaboration here, so credit where credit is due. Music for this episode is by Sean Hart, who can be found at seanhart.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts.